I uh, enjoy eating. It's probably evident by looking at me. And maybe you've had this situation happen to you. You are at your favorite eating joint. It could be McDonald's. It could be Chick-fil-A or anything like that. You stand in line and you're getting hungry. You're anticipating it and you're thinking, man, I am just ready for that burger or that chicken sandwich or whatever it's going to be. And you work your way up the line. It's your turn. They take your order and they say, that'll be uh, $10.48. And you reach into your pocket and nothing's there. You forgot the most important thing. How are you going to pay for that meal? What I have done many times is uh, I will leave the house and I'll get to the car and I'll go, ah, no keys. I'm not going anywhere without that. Many of us, I find, leave the house without the keys, without our wallets, when we go without an attitude of love. Love is the most important attitude any Christ follower can have. So why are we talking about this idea of love and how important it is? We're doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit this summer. Nine traits that resemble the character of Christ. Last week, Opie kicked us off with a series on kind of how fruit goes. It was a lesson from nature to illustrate something from the Bible. And the fruit of the Spirit, it should be noted, is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is not a fruit salad that you can say, well, I like pineapple, but I don't like banana. Oh, I like the little bits of apple. It's, no, it's the whole thing. And I think the fruit of the Spirit is one of those things that could be a real ethereal concept. And so God says, let me describe it to you. It's so big that you wouldn't be able to figure it out by yourselves. Let me describe it to you. And so he puts nine traits in his word that we can learn from. Now, we are in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. You can turn there if you like. We're going to see what we can learn about the fruit of the Spirit uh, and love from this. Love is the first one of the uh, fruit, or first mention, the first trait that's listed of that. But before we look at fruit, we really should look at the whole context of why would God even bring this up? Why would God talk about fruit and say, you guys need to bear this in your lives? The context for the book of Galatians is, it was a church or a group of churches that was ripped apart by ethnic and cultural and doctrinal differences. There was open feuding amongst the leaders in the church. It was not a good scene. And so this concept of fruit of the Spirit is a response to this. It's a solution to this problem. The message is something like this. Hey, guys. You can be a church and look just like the world all around you, or you can choose a better way. The Bible contrasts God-honoring lifestyle and ungodly living. The fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. Now here's the thing. The works of the flesh come naturally to us. And you'll find them in this chapter listed right before the fruit of the Spirit. They come naturally to us. If left to our own devices, this is what we sink to. And if you have any doubts about what humanity can sink to, just hop on Twitter or on the new threads and see how people express themselves. It's not pretty. We need God's help. So before we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, earlier on in the chapter... It talks about something else. In verse 16, it says, walk 
in the Spirit. You've got to walk in the Spirit before you bear the fruit of the Spirit. But how do you walk in the Spirit when you can't see the Spirit? What does that really mean? Walking in the Spirit means choosing to order my life around the things that are important to God. It means choosing to submit to Him and say, Lord, I'm going to do things your way rather than my way. Lord, would you have control of me? And when we make this decision, and it's a decision we need to to make daily, it's not something that we make one time and it all falls into place. We need to be daily saying, Lord, I'm yours. I submit to you. Would you control me? Would you fill me? Would you empower me? And when we choose to live this way, God's Spirit takes over. And He guides us and He empowers us to do God's will. He changes us. He prompts us. And He kind of shapes us into the character of Jesus Christ. So bearing the fruit of the Spirit is a result of walking in the Spirit. You must walk in the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And it's very important that we understand that going forward. So now that we have that little kind of intro to it, let's look at, well, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit could be a meaningless platitude. It could be a nice churchy devotional term which is irrelevant to us when we go about our everyday lives Monday through Saturday. But God is not going to let us get away with that. He lists nine traits, and you can find them in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, in contrast to the works of the flesh listed right before it. The fruit of the Spirit is, not are, it's not a fruit salad we can pick and choose from, the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. God gives us these traits so we have something tangible that is not just a weird philosophical concept out there. You want to know how you're doing bearing the fruit of the Spirit? This is what our lives should look like. And we're taking a Sunday to look at each of these traits so that we can live them out in our everyday lives. Now, the top of the list is love. First thing listed. Throughout Scripture, when you see the virtues or the, or the characteristics of what God wants in His people, love is at the top of the list. It's the one attitude that Jesus said of his followers. In John chapter 13, he said this, and this is the night in which he was betrayed. Jesus is speaking about what really matters here. He knows what is going to happen the next day. So he doesn't waste his words with his people. He says this, guys, a new commandment I'm giving you, that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
That's only two verses, but in those two verses, three times it says, love one another. These are some of Jesus' last words spoken to his followers. Guys, love one another. Love one another. And in case you didn't get it the first two times, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. And we know that Jesus gave his all for us. Love is much more than a feeling. So here's the thing. If we love well, everything else will fall into place. If we love well, everything else is a detail. If you get love right, everything else in the Christian life will follow off of this. If you are loving, then you will naturally be, you will naturally be the kind of person that brings with you everywhere you go, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When God puts a list like this in his word, the message is pretty clear to all of us. God is not just saying talk about it in philosophical, weird, abstract terms. He's saying, this is concretely how I want you to look as my followers. This is how you are to live. And there are several other lists in Scripture. Probably the most famous is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in your handouts, if you're on the email list, or if you'd like, you can look at it on our YouVersion page today. We have a love exam that you can take. And this is based on the traits of love that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13 read. Many people that aren't even church people know what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about because it's out there so often. And we could grind through that list and they would just become legalistic requirements. That's not our intent. But if you've got the time, I'd encourage you to get together with your spouse or a close friend, maybe a small group, and say, let's do a, a checkup. How am I doing on love? And it's all based on those traits in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Ultimately, though, love looks out for your neighbor's best interests, even if it means sacrificing your own interests. Love is ultimately about another person's good and you doing something about it. That's love. It's completely selfless. And love does not come naturally to us. I mean, let's be honest. We all look out for number one. That is our natural default mode. It's like, i got to look out for myself. Then I'll look out for others. But God says, no, 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 no. You got the order wrong. Love looks out for other people ahead of your own interests. Love looks for ways for how you can serve. And it goes against the grain of our thinking. Love is actually a big theme in Galatians chapter 5. And I think it's very important that you see the big picture of how it ties in and lays the foundation for this whole concept of the fruit of the Spirit. Three observations about love from Galatians chapter 5. Verse 6 says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
So what is that all about? The context is you've got people. Now, when the Bible in this context is referring to circumcision and uncircumcision, it's really saying it's those who think, no, you've got to keep the Old Testament law to be a Christian versus those who say, no, 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 Jesus did everything on the cross. You do not need to keep the law to become a Christian. Those who are saying you need circumcision are really saying you just need to follow the details of the law, then you're a Christian. Those who say, no, you don't, Jesus has done it all. Well, it's very easy to say, okay, I'm not going to bother keeping the law, I'll just say Jesus did it all. And while that technically may be true, there's proof in the pudding. And that is that faith works itself out in love. What matters is faith working through love. Forget about trying to keep a list of rules and regulations. You'll never be able to do it. What matters is faith in Christ that you live in light of. It's faith in Christ that as you have your mind on him, the Spirit takes over your life and you're walking in the Spirit and before you know it, you're producing fruit of the Spirit. It's a work that God will help you to do. And this is really important, this concept in verse 6, because it counters our religious pride. We all like to think we're good people. I'm certainly better than them. But faith, working through loves, recognizes that in God's eyes, we're all sinful, in desperate need of grace. Doesn't matter what you were born into, anything pre-Christ counts for nothing for salvation. And grace is hard for us to accept in natural state because we all want to be able to say, well, I did something to get my... No, we didn't. Jesus paid the whole price for us. God ignores our pride, and I'm thankful for that. And he says, I love you so much, I'll give you a savior. And this sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Because every other religion is you do. You do this. You read this book. You keep these rules. You go to this ritual. But the message of Christianity is done. Done. It's already been done for you. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and when you come to him by faith, he offers to give you his perfection. He credits it to you so that you can have a right standing before God. We become Christians by faith. We live the Christian life by faith. And the evidence that we're doing it is we love. Because here's the thing. When our mind is on Christ and all that he has done for us, that has a cleansing effect on us. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. And the evidence is love. Faith is the root and love is the fruit. And as you mature in your faith, you will become more loving. And love for God and people Love will serve as your compass and as your engine. 
It'll be your compass, and it will guide you and direct you. It will be your engine, and it will motivate you. What matters more than anything else is faith working through love. Another thing we see in Galatians chapter 5 is found in verse 13, where it says that, um, for we were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Freedom is a concept in our modern American culture that we have a rough time with. We all want to think we're free to do whatever we want. But that's not really freedom the way God describes it. When God says we're free, he's saying you're free to be who I made you to be. You are free to live as I intended you to live. So when God says you're free, it doesn't mean you throw throw off restraint and do whatever you want to do. God says you're free to serve one another in love. See, love is active. Love is not a passive feeling. It's much more than that. This counteracts our human tendency to say, I want to do whatever I want to do. But real freedom, freedom the way God intended it, is not do whatever you want to do. It's do what God wants you to do. And then see that that is a much, much better way to live. Love is never about using someone else to make you feel good or to make you feel good about yourself. Love will shift your thinking from my rights to my responsibilities. And again, that's hard for us because we are so ingrained to go after my rights. But God says, no, 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 a much better way to think is my responsibilities, my duty to others. That's love. Love is not about my rights and my way. And love will only flow from a heart that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to joyfully put others first. Another thing about love is that love will always guide you to do the right thing. It's a great compass. Love will guide you to do the right thing. Verse 14 says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is awesome. This is a fantastic truth because so many struggle with, I've got to do this, I've got to do that to be a good Christian. And while, yes, there are traits and characteristics of a good Christian, God says, you'll never be able to keep up with it all. There were 600-odd laws in the Old Testament that a person thought they had to fulfill. But one of the reasons that's there is God is saying, hello, that is impossible. You will never be able to live up to it. But I can, and I did. God will help us to do the right thing when we choose love as our operating system, when we choose that as our counter, as our uh, compass. You see, when you love, you will naturally keep all the other rules. 
If you love, if you're genuinely looking out for someone else's best interests, you'll naturally do the right thing. It's much simpler than we want to think. But it's also impossible with our current nature. We need God's Spirit to help us. I think we have to remember that when we see all that God has done for us, it only makes sense. Lord, let me just reflect that to the world around me. So when you love, you naturally do the right thing. The whole law is summarized. All 600-odd commands of the Old Testament are summarized in love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So God is saying here, guys, the Christian life is a lot simpler than you think. But it's also more difficult than you can imagine because you need my help to do it. Love empowers us to think, speak, and act like Christ. In the book of 1 John, later on in the Bible, in chapter 4, this should flash up on the screen, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live like him. God says a lot about love. That's everything we need to know about life right there. And it starts off, beloved, which means you're loved by God. Realize who you are at the start of it. Before you're told to do anything, realize who you are. You are loved by God. That word beloved, God doesn't waste words in his word. Beloved. You're loved by God. Therefore, let's love one another. If God loves us, the least we can do is ricochet and reflect some of that love back to others around us. Love is from God. God's the only one who can do it perfectly. Whoever loves as Christ loves, that's evidence of your faith, which is exactly what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. If we're not loving, we really don't know God, because that's what God is like. And God is not just this abstract thing out in the sky. He says, I'll show you my love. And he put on flesh and blood and walked this earth as Jesus Christ. God has given us what we need to love. And love is not some mushy, valentinesy thing. It's much greater, much more powerful. And I think you're going to see as we walk through the fruit of the Spirit this summer, that many of the facets of the fruit of the Spirit really flow out of love. So if you concentrate on one thing, if there's one thing you want to get right, it's love. Because if you get love right, everything else falls into place. Love is the compass and the engine 
for the Christian life. Love is what guides us, and love is what motivates us. It's that important. See, when we love, we're just reflecting what God has done for us. We're like the moon, and God is like the sun. Now, we can't manufacture this this fruit. We just can't. But when we walk in the Spirit, when it starts with every day saying, Lord, I'm yours, I belong to you. Would you control the way I think, act, and speak? Then we're walking in the Spirit without knowing we're walking in the Spirit. And when we're walking in the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. So God says, don't start and say, I'm going to look like Jesus. I'm going to be like Jesus because we'll fail every time. But he says, would you choose to order your life around me? And as you order your life around me, as you submit to me and say, Lord, I will follow you, then he does a transforming walk, work inside us. And then almost without us realizing it, we start producing the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is something that flows out of a decision we make daily. And God does it. God does the work. First description he gives for the fruit of the Spirit, Christ-like character, is love. If we get love right, everything else falls into place. Things we wrap up, a couple things to remember about love. First of all, remember that God loved us despite our unlovability. The Bible says this in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of Christianity right there. God didn't say, hey, listen, you guys are a mess. But if you can get your act together, then I'll save you. He didn't say, guys, you need to do half of the work. If you can get four out of five of these traits of the fruit, I'll take care of the rest. He didn't do anything like that. God looks at us in our mess and he says, I love you. And to show that I love you, I'll send my son. Why is that so important? Because none of us are capable of saving ourselves. None of us are capable of getting right with God on our own terms. You can go to church, you can give to the poor, you can do whatever. But that won't fix the problem of sin in our heart. God looks at us in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our failures, and he says, I love you. I'll do something about it. I don't just wish the best for you, but I'm going to act on that wish, and I'm going to do something. And he did. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up because we couldn't do it. In our mess, he did. The way you become a Christian, the way you're made right with God is through faith. Saying, oh Lord, thank you for reaching down, seeing me in my mess, and saving me. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again, and I'm trusting in him and him alone. Living the Christian life. God has given us everything we need. Just a few verses earlier in Romans chapter 5, in verse 5, it says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God says, I'm going to give you everything you need to be loving. Now, that's a challenge because that means we got no excuse. None of us can say, well, you know, it's, I'm just, I'm kind of, more, I'm a rougher personality. I'm not that loving. God says, I've poured my love into your heart through my Holy Spirit. Again, you have a connection with walking in the Spirit, through the Spirit. So guys, for all of us, we need to make the daily choice. Lord, I'm yours. Thank you for loving me. Lord, I'm yours. Have your way in my life. Would you help me to align with you in the way that I think, act, and speak? And when we do that, God himself, through his Holy Spirit, will give us everything we need to bear the fruit of the Spirit. He will help us to love other people. So the fruit of the Spirit, it's really important. It's the evidence of our faith. And there's no better way to start than to say, I want to get love right. Because if I get love right, everything else falls into place. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And first of all, Lord, we thank you that you have loved us more than we can imagine. Lord, you have given us a Savior. You looked at us in our mess, and you didn't ask us to clean up the mess. You loved us, and you died on that cross. Lord, I thank you that your love has been poured into our hearts. I pray that we wouldn't hide that love under a bushel, I pray instead that we would live in such a way that your love radiates. Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of church family that we look out for one another. I pray that we are known in our communities for loving and looking for ways to serve and to help. Why? Because that's what you did for us first. So Lord, I pray that you would bear the fruit of the Spirit in us here at City View. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.